0: Blob Talk Radio.
1: Bristol Motor Speedway. The place where you can forget about work for a while. Celebrate the good old USA. And take in the best bumper-banging, fist-waving, hero-making short track race of the year. The Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race. It's America's night race. This is what you live for. So be there August 8th, 8th. It ain't just another race. It's Bristol, baby. Bring the whole family out to Talladega Super Speedway for the Kids VIP Experience. Kids 12 and under can choose from a number of great options behind the scenes, like guided garage tours, pre-race photo ops, and more. This is more than a race. This is Talladega. This is Spencer Boyd, driver of the number 76, grunt-style Chevy Camaro, and listen to the Pit Stop with Tim Spang.
2: Running, running, and running, running, In this context, there's no disrespect So when I bust my rounds, you break your neck We got five minutes for it to disconnect From all intellect and let the rhythm affect. To lose the inhibition, follow your intuition Free your inner soul and break away from tradition Cause when we be out, girl, it's fully of out You wouldn't believe how we wow shit out Turn it till it's burned out, turn it till it's burned out Act up from Northwest East Side Everybody, everybody, let's get into it Get stoned on. I-
3: Good evening from Dega Nation, I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. The way the crow flies, I'm approximately eight miles straight south of the 2.66 mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. Like Grant Lynch always says, more than a race, it's Talladega. Let's bring in the Reverend, official Reverend of the show, my good friend out there on the West Coast, Mr. Reverend Joe Bubico. Reverend, how you doing tonight, bud? Not too bad, but
0: you better watch out if you're south of that place, because stuff's Definitely flows downhill, you know.
3: Yeah, you got that right. Everything goes south toward the equator. <laughs> correct.
0: Yeah, exactly. Might be a problem if their toilets.
3: Yeah, you got that right, Reverend.
0: <laughs> they might come and get you.
3: So, how's everything? I with hope you? it's going. It's going pretty good. Going pretty good. We got a pretty good little storm over to my north. West. I hope it don't make it because it's producing some pretty good uh, wind and lightning over toward Birmingham. So maybe it won't make it here and knock us out. But um, uh, maybe we'll get everything oh, in. There. Huh? If not, I got. Yeah, I do too. If not, I got my I got my backup, Stephen, up there just right outside of Richmond. Uh huh.
0: Well, we got a big fire just to our west by about maybe five miles of the coast flies. And it's getting uglier and uglier, so who knows? But
3: anyway, all we can do is pray, brother.
0: So just keep praying, that's all.
3: Yes, sir. Let's go ahead and get it started, brother.
0: Yes, sir. I know you got a big show tonight. Lord, we come before you, and we ask you to please protect us all from all the things that can go on in this world. We know you never intended it to be this way, but our sin brought it upon us. But thankfully, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that all we have to do is believe, and we will get a clear shot into heaven. So please bless our show. Bless all of our fans, all of those who are racing all over the world. Be with us all. Give us a great race and a great time. And please, watch over all those who are in government, all those that are in the military, all those that are at home, waiting for them to return. Be with all of us and help us to remember that we're one nation under God. And we love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus'
3: name we pray. Amen. Amen, Reverend Joe. Miss Mary Sarah, there at the National Anthem there at Bristol Motor Speedway a few years back. Great, great implication, Reverend Joe. I appreciate everything you do. And let everybody know where well, they can follow you at on social media on your website.
0: Our website is ontrackwithjesus.org. My email address is ontrackwithjesus at com, And you can follow me at Rev. Joe Bubico on Facebook and Twitter. But Twitter, not so good yet. We'll oh, get you get there, brother. Any me... get... time. You can call me I'll anytime. You can call me anytime at Even if your name is Tim and you can't remember the phone number, it's right there.
3: For some reason, I knew you was going there, Reverend. I will get with <laughs> you. I promise. But again, Reverend, thank you very much for calling in every Tuesday night and saying a prayer and everything. And tell Miss Betty we said hello. And y'all stay safe out there from them wildfires. I'm sure everything's going to be
0: Otherwise, we get a new house.
3: That's right. That's right. Y'all be safe, Reverend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, buddy.
0: You too. Talk to you next week. All right.
3: See you. All right. See you, Reverend. All right. Reverend Joe there, the official reverend of the pit stop for Timmy Spanish, Stephen Wilson. Now, let's go ahead and bring on my sidekick, uh, CEO of SpeedwayDigest.com, right outside of Richmond Raceway, uh,
1: Mr. Stephen Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event.
4: Stephen Wilson,
3: how you doing tonight, brother?
4: I'm hot. Been outside cutting crafts and all the kinds of good stuff. It's like ninety three degrees up here and it's, it's a little too much.
3: <clears throat> well just just do like me. I've been letting mine grow up and let somebody come bail it for me. It is stinking hot, brother. It's hot down here too. <laughs>
4: Yeah, it'd be nice, but unfortunately, we're surrounded by fields, and i got to keep this thing under control before it takes over everything.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're out there in the country around all them fields, but uh, let's go ahead and get everything going. The number to call in is 215 383 3681. I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwaysIGEST.com. Mr. Stephen Wilson, coming up here at. Uh, 25 after the hour, we've got driver number four, Chevy Camaro, in the NASCAR X Series for JD Motorsports. Ross Chastain is going to stop by and join us. And I want to give a big shout-out to uh, Scott Revis for setting this interview up. I want to give him some some kudos there, thanks to that. And, Steve, I know we had had some breaking news come out yesterday, and uh, it's just about, uh, I think, every radio station, every TV station in the country, probably the whole world. Has covered it. And, you know, I don't really know exactly what to say, but it's probably some of the biggest news in NASCAR in a long time.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a turning point for NASCAR, in which they're going to have to make a decision one way or another where they want to be at, not only in the next week or two, but going forward long term and even into 2019. Brian France did something that he's not the first person to do it he's not going to be the last person to do it and by no means you know there's a lot of people out here with various different illnesses and conditions and addictions that you know I hope he gets the help that he needs because you know it it, it not just affects him and his family but it affects uh, uh, the industry as a whole. And we've just seen that over the last 18 to 24 hours or so. Where it really leads us to is into the future. Over the past two to three years, Brian Francis taken a more and more back, you know, door type situation to NASCAR as a whole. He shows up at races, but he doesn't command the presence that either his father did or his grandfather did. Um, That's something that Jim, his his uncle does, and with Jim back, at least in the interim CEO with with Lisa, um, this could be where Jim turns around. And I know there's been a lot of talk in the industry between uh, failing or fading interest, uh, falling numbers on TV, ticket counts in the stands, we can point fingers all day long, who's to blame, who's not to blame, who who has the best ideas and who has the worst ideas. But this comes at really a critical time and a junction point where, again, like I said, NASCAR is going to have to make a decision on where they want to be, not only in the next 7 to 14 days and guide that ship, but long-term going into 2019, they're going to have to be in a place where um, – they restabilized the industry, and I think this could be potentially what a lot of people have been looking for to to fix, not necessarily, I guess, not necessarily fix, but redirect the industry. And a lot of people seem to think eventually at some point, with or without Brian in the picture, that Lisa's son, Ben Kennedy, would eventually become the heir and I think with, uh, with Jim in charge now, with Lisa at the side, with Ben working in the truck series, overseeing some of that, this could be his ascension to the top in the next couple of years. And this may pave the pathway for that to occur sooner rather than later.
3: That's right, Stephen. So of touch on some of the stuff that you just mentioned. I was going to bring up Ben Kennedy also, but you brought up a really good point. And I want to let our listeners know Brian France is a human being just like Stephen and I and all all of y'all listen. And we, just like Stephen said, we hope he gets some help for the issues that he that he's dealing with. We're not trying to throw Brian under under the bus. You know, he's like I said, he's he's human. Just like he puts his pants on, just like Stephen and I, just like you do, listeners, and. Just like Steven said, maybe he'll get the help and, you know, maybe he can come back, you know. And if maybe he's not in that role, like you said, uh, uh, you know, Jim is now, the interim. Uh, maybe, you know, BM, like you said, can can step up into that spot uh, with him over the the uh, the uh, truck stuff there. But uh, it's just a sad situation and the way it, the, the, the timing of everything couldn't have been, I don't think, it was the worst timing for, you know, I know you can't say I'm going to wait to so-and-so time and run a stop site and get a and get a ticket and all that, but, Stephen, with that being said, I think it drew a lot away from our first-time winner uh, in the Monster Region NASCAR Cup Series. They sell it one there, one there at the Glen, and it sort of took the shine away from him, and I hated for it to go down like that. But, you know I mean, it didn't take everything out, but I think this it this incident sort of shadowed a little bit of the win Chase Elliott had at Watkins Glen. Yeah,
4: it most definitely did to some degree that you look at what Chase was able to accomplish this weekend. It took him nearly a hundred races to do so. And I think a lot of people thought that he would be in victory lane before he did this past weekend at Watkins Glen. And by all means, he's had several opportunities And, you know, it's just been bad luck for him to get into Victory Lane. A lot of people thought that he would be in Victory Lane before Ryan Blaney was, and Ryan Blaney went to Victory Lane last year at Pocono with the Wood Brothers. Um, So for him to take this amount of time, um, I don't think anybody was expecting it to take this long, but now that he is the first-time winner there in Victory Lane, it was a very popular win. It was a win that that honestly gave some light at the end of the tunnel to – Uh, all the naysayers that are sitting out there. Sure, we've had the big top three. They've been dominating week in and week out, and Martin Truex Jr. threw everything, including the kitchen sink at Elliot Sauer. No, Chase Elliott, to, to, uh, you know, try and go to victory lane at Watkins Glen. But he was bested by arguably somebody that's going to carry NASCAR into the future as far as the next generation of drivers.
3: That's right, Stephen, and just to talk a little bit about that race, uh, that race there at Watkins Glen, uh, I remember, I think one day, somebody said that you better watch the nine car this weekend, and, you know, and I, I was like, you know, the nine car chase, he ain't been doing all that well on road courses, you know, little alone ovals and stuff, but that young man drove his heart off. You could tell that final lap when they come down off and went into one whenever he said he sort of wheel hopped it. I remember listening to his interview. I wish I would have downloaded it where I could have played it for everybody to uh, to uh, hear. But him being as young as he is and he mentioned going into one he wheel hopped. He said it was either knock it out of gear or spin the car out. And he was that calm enough knowing he's fixing to either win or lose this race on the last lap to Martin Truex. And he held his composure really, really well. Too. I know you don't, you're not real big on road courses. I don't know if you watched any of it, but that's probably one of the best races I've ever seen at Watkins Glen, and just to sort of touch on that, Stephen, if you, if you will, the composure this young man has, and like you said, it took a while for him to get where he is. And Bill Elliott won his first Cup race. was on a road course. Uh, I think it was Riverside, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Steve? Won that where Bill won his first Cup race? That's uh, it's been
4: so long ago. That was a little bit before my time, but. Yeah, Bill Bill was uh was fairly decent on road courses, you know, as I started coming up in the late eighties.
3: Yeah. And I uh you know, Bill was in Bill was there. And uh also there was some news come out also prior to the event there at Watkins Glen and Bill Ellis gonna step back into the number twenty three GMS car. Or is it is it is it Road America, Middle Ohio, Stephen? I can't remember the press release.
4: Yeah, Billy L gonna get back in the
3: card uh Road America. Road America. But just to let everybody know again, the number to call in is two one five three eight three thirty six eighty one. I'm Tim Spain alongside Speedway dot com Mr. Stephen Wilson. We're waiting up waiting on uh, Ross Rochester he's gonna call in here shortly. I wanna get his I got a lot of questions I wanna take I wanna ask him, you know, Stephen, With him, you know, we're doing doing double duty. Uh it's tough enough to do it on a on an oval, but I could imagine pulling double duty on a road course, especially the fastest road course that we go to, which is Watkins Glen. You know, that's got to be tough on the body.
4: Yeah, I think it is, but he had just done this the the week prior at Pocono. He flew back and forth between Iowa and Pocono to compete both in the, the Xfinity series out there, but Pocono in the Cup Series. And that's a little bit harder just skidding in the car two times on a weekend at the same racetrack. You don't have to go go anywhere, but a lot of that travel back and forth. And he was the only one to do it. We've seen Kozolowski do it in the past. We've seen a lot of other drivers do it in the past. But as we get here into the late summer, heat starts turning up, and it gets really hot at a lot of these places that we're going to. And, I mean, we saw what happened to Noah Gregson just a week ago at Pocono where he passed out getting outside of the truck, and NASCAR told him that he couldn't get back in the truck. He wasn't cleared. And, you know, it's hard. It's very physically demanding to these drivers. I've heard it one time that drivers can lose up to 15 pounds just in sweat alone at some of these racetracks during the summertime. So that's a lot of fluids that you're not only intaking into your body but but uh, exhaling from your body at the same time. Um, and, and and that really when you got to get in a car twice and do that in the same weekend, that really is extremely physically demanding and uh, you hear a lot of people say that these drivers aren't athletes, but you know when you when NBC and Fox put these little thermometers in the car and it's one hundred and forty seven degrees in there, and you don't have air conditioning, and you're expelling sweat at, at a rate of you know two, three, four, five times of which you're taking it, uh, taking fluids in um over a three and a half to four hour race, it is extremely demanding and just not there, you know, on these overcourses, but when you gotta go turn thirteen, fourteen, fifteen times at a at a Watkins length, that just makes it even harder.
3: And also too, Stephen, talking about losing all that uh weight and all that all that water weight, all that all that sweating and like you mentioned, the uh, thermometers in in the car up one forty-seven, one forty-eight, sometimes over a hundred degrees inside that race car, and the way that the way that their seats are, they a lot of drivers kick their seats sort of back, sort of like their legs to sort of rest down on them, and then you then you got then you got the element of of the uh, sweat piling up close to the body. You know, I've I've heard of people their uh, their sweat goes to boiling that it gets so hot and it blisters their their legs and some of that stuff too, Stephen. I mean, that's just it's unreal that. It can get that hot in a race car to boil human sweat. That's just—it's beyond me, bro.
4: Well, you look at what happened to Ricky Rudd Martinsville many years ago. Um, and that's that's kind of how they figured out that they should no longer stick a hose through the, through the car, you know, window and start spraying the driver down and spraying the the the, the fire suit down and the suit and the floorboards and everything like that. But, the, again, that's when the, the, the exhaust pipes used to come out of the opposite, at the driver's side of the car versus the passenger side of the car like they do now. And, you know, he, he burned up. He had second- and third-degree burns all over his body. And when he got out of that car, I mean, a lot of people have seen the image. They've seen the video. He collapsed and laid right down on the asphalt. Um, and he they immediately started giving him bags of fluid. Um, so... You know, the heat is something that um, while these drivers have started wearing either cool suits, putting bags of ice in their, suite, in their fire suits, they have air conditioning within their helmet to give them cool air, but that fails, too. It's just like everything else. We hear a lot of drivers, and when you got to go through an entire day, and it's, you know, 93, 95 degrees outside of the car, ambient temperature of the track is over 130 degrees, 40 degrees, even higher than that, and you're 147, 150 degrees on a car. It really is. It's just a recipe for disaster, and these drivers today are more physically fit than we've ever seen drivers in the past, and every driver out there has a different not only diet regimen a workout regimen that they worked through at the same time with personal trainers and dietitians. And not to say that we didn't have some really tough people back in the day getting in these cars, but today these drivers probably are the most physically fit of any driver in history.
3: I definitely agree, Steven. And to go back to add to that, you know, you take Jimmy's, Jimmy Spencer, you ain't going to get Jimmy Spencer back then, if he got in the car today, you ain't going to get him on a on a diet, watching what he eats. Uh, Jimmy Spencer's going to eat him some cheeseburgers and all that, Steven. That's, that's just the way that man was. I wish, you know, Jimmy Spencer, a hell of a damn race car driver, wish he was still back. Steven, I want to move on a little bit. NASCAR was, uh, this past weekend at Watkins Glen, you and I spoke about the OSS the optical scanning system. They, uh, they have two different, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Scanning. They have a, uh, a low imaging and a dark imaging, and uh, some of the teams were sort of like you and I spoke last week or a couple of weeks ago. They were changing the colors to a dark color on their light car around the fender wells. When NASCAR had went as far as spraying down some of these cars before they went into the OSS and the uh, optical scanning system there for their inspection, can you can you talk a little bit, a little bit about what? NASCAR was actually spraying on them on, on the cars before it went into the OSS.
4: I honestly don't know because I didn't watch, pay attention to it over the weekend. But uh, what you're referring to is how teams have figured out that at certain points on the car, that the optical the op optical scanner will either determine whether it's a light color or it's a darker color. And the darker colored cars would go through at a different resolution than the light colored cars. And they were figuring out by two toning the car at certain points, it was tricking the system into going into a different resolution on the car, which would then bypass some of the potential, you know, them them uh, I, I'm not cheating, but working in different areas of the car to gain an advantage.
3: Exactly, not really cheating, but making it tell one thing when it's really something else. Does that sound right? How to say it? To tell it one thing when it's really different. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not good with so words. It
4: it, it it was. Pat, it was. Pat. What was doing it is is that it was passing. Corners or around the fender wells and wheel wells of the car, it was passing them even though that teams had manipulated them outside of the spec to gain a, uh, a an advantage, either an arrow advantage or a drag advantage on the car.
3: Yeah. I mean
4: downforce. Yeah. Sorry, downforce advantage.
3: Yeah, and you bring up another question. I was going to talk about downforce whenever else come up. Uh, the drivers they had the rain tires this weekend at Watkins Glen. They had the windshield wipers. They had the option of putting the wiper on before the race, or coming in if they need to put rain tires on and put the wiper on then. A lot of the teams I heard the wiper was helping with downforce coming with air coming across the windshield. It was helping there with the downforce of the car with just a windshield wiper. I mean, you know who. Who would have thunk that? You know, some of the engineers figured all that out. But that that wet-weather tire, the timing of the rain, going to that wet-weather tire, and it wasn't long they had to jump back to that slick. But the track was drying really, really fast, just like Dale Jr. and Jeff Burton and Mike Bagley were, were mentioning. They were in the corners there uh, calling the calling the race there with NBC. But it was the color was coming back. And just to let some of our listeners know, Stephen, you know a little bit about that wet-weather tire. If you run that wet weather tire on a dry surface, it's going to it's gonna chunk. It's going to wear out really, really quick, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's a softer type of tire compound tire that has the grooves kind of in it, just like a normal tire that you are drive down the road with. But putting them on a, uh, a surface in the sun that – that's dry would, would basically melt these tires down. It, it's a similar, it's almost a similar effect of what you saw at the 2017, uh, all-star race where they had that really soft option tire. You could go really, really fast for about three laps and then tire fell off to a point where, you know, the, the field was gaining one, two seconds on you every lap. So, um, That's that's kind of the similar. It's kind of a similar where the tire wears down at an extremely quick rate um, on the racetrack, and it has to do because it's not the wet weather keeping the tire cooled down to temperatures. The heat is not dissipating out of the tires because of the way that they're designed to 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 fall off and uh, to to um, move the water out of out of the treading areas to to the outside or perimeter of the tire. So yeah, um some of these teams there's they definitely figured out that there was some kind of advantage with those winter wipers and it sounds like there may be some potential oil changes coming up um in twenty nineteen for for the road courses. Um not I haven't heard anything that they may change it for the Roval there in Charlotte but a potential for 2019 definitely that, um, you know, these teams a- 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 had figured out the aero advantage in putting the winch and on versus not putting them on,
3: exactly. Stephen, let's take a little quick break. We'll come right back, waiting on Ross Chestane to come on. Uh, we're gonna take a little quick break. Uh, I'm Tim Spain and Tyler Douglas, Stephen Wilson, speedwaydigest.com, just right, right outside of Ripson Raceway. We will be back right back after this message.
1: good old USA and take in the best bumper banging fist waving hero making short track race of the year the Bass Pro Shops NRA night race it's America's night race this is what you live for so be there August 8th, 8th it ain't just another race it's Bristol baby
3: we're back live from Daytona, I'm Tim Mr. Spain alongside of com, Mr. Stephen Wilson right outside of Richmond Raceway, Richmond Raceway. Let's go ahead and bring on our guest tonight, driver of the number four Chevy Camaro for JD Motorsports and NASCAR Xfinity Series, Mr. Ross Chastain. Hey, Ross, how you doing tonight? I lost but I lost my I'm, button. I I'm had a doing button good. I lost. It. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time out. come on, brother. Yeah. Hey, uh before we talk really about which I know you had some breaking news earlier, but uh Ross, I want to ask you a question. You know, you've you've uh done double duty multiple times. But doing double duty at a road course slight like walk going Glenn, just how phys- physically demanding is that on, on the body and how much weight do you lose? You know, we've we've talked about it before. Drivers lose you uh, sweat so much, you lose so much weight. I mean, just talk a little bit about that if you don't mind.
5: Yeah, no, it is, and it's it's different every week, and and depending on the temperature inside the car. But uh, and then also, um, you know, if if your car's handling good, you sweat less. So, like Iowa a couple weeks ago, I really didn't sweat that much. Uh, but we ran Iowa two months prior. And I got out and I was dripping wet because we ran 19th. So, um, and that's not always a good thing because that usually means you're overdriving, and I I struggle with that. So, uh, but no Watkins Glen, the shifting part, uh, you know, shifting so many times a lap is is tough on me. I I, I struggle with, um, you know, just just my arm, you know, my shoulder and stuff. So, um, on the men now and, and be ready to go for Mid Ohio this weekend.
3: Ross, you, uh, you were started uh, Saturday. You started 23rd there in the number four, protect your melon buckle up, New York Chevrolet there. And you actually got on up uh, stage one or two. You were up uh, seventh, eighth or something like that. Was that some uh, strategy that y'all tried uh, to sort of get up there and maybe get some track position and everything just didn't pan out? I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you wasn't faster, but the car was fast because you got up.
5: Right. Well, it was actually the rain. So it rained there in stage 2 and we put our rain tires on and then we kept them on to the end of stage 2 and some guys elected to put their slicks on earlier uh when the track was still pretty damp and I wasn't comfortable with that. So yeah, the keeping our rain tires on gave us a few stage points there to um you know to to gain in in, in stage 2 and then we had to uh you know then we had to pit, be behind all those guys that already had their slicks and and we were able to get back to 20th, so um, it was a combination of strategy, but also the rain.
3: That's right, Ross and Stephen. And I we were just talking earlier before you come on. Uh, we were talking about the uh, windshield wiper. NASCAR gave y'all the option of putting that wiper on before, or if y'all had to pit to get the rain tires. And a lot of drivers, I heard, and Stephen also heard, put the wiper on before. It was was it sort of helping with some of some of the downforce with the aero package, having that wiper on.
5: That, they talk about that. I'm I'm not smart enough to know, but they, a lot of teams did elect. We put ours on once it started raining, and when we got our rain tires. So um, you know, and then it it really it's really only for cautions or if there's a lot of spray coming up off the cars in front of you. You can run it, but if you're if you got a little bit of clean track or just a you know less than ten cars in front of you, then you really bet I'm better off to not run it um, and and just let the speed and the wind push the water off the windshield.
3: And Ross, uh, to let some of our listeners know, uh, at Watkins Glen, I call it backwards. You pit backwards. You pit the wrong side. You're actually going the wrong way around the uh, track. This how does it? How many times during practice do you actually practice coming in pit road? And how many times do you and your team, before y'all get to the track, practice pitting that car like I call it backwards? And is it is it is it is it that much of a change? Does it take a lot to get used to that coming in?
5: it doesn't honestly the pit crew does their practice um but you know that's different from our road crew of mechanics and so you know they practice it uh you know a lot uh, but for me there is there is no practice on on my side or for the mechanic side uh you know we prepare the car with the fu- gas uh fueler you know, the fu- fueling head on the car uh is on the passenger side versus the driver side where it usually is for oval and um you know that's um that's you know, kind of on, that's only at Watkins Glen and Road America. And mid-Ohio this weekend we will pit on the left side, you know, it'd be a more standard pit stop. But, no, it's pretty simple. Um, it is odd because my crew this weekend, they pitted the right side of the car first, then went around to the left, then came back around and got out of the way so I could leave. So that was a little odd the first time. Um, you know, the, no, there was no tire changer or carrier or jack man running around the front with their tires and their equipment. So it was odd. But um, all worked out.
3: And Ross, my final question before I hand you over to to Stephen. Uh, you run the uh, the number fifteen there for Premium Motorsports, also for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. How much different was that car versus your Xfinity Series car? Did it did it take a little bit to get acclimated after you got out of the Xfinity car, got in the Cup car?
5: It did for sure. The, the sensation of speed in the Cup car is insane. And that, that goes to every track we go to, even down to Martinsville, where we run the truck series, uh, you know, there. And I've ran that race several times uh, in the trucks. And then this year go there for the first time in the Cup Car, I was amazed at how fast I felt at the end of the straightaway and entering the corner and how much brake I was using because I wasn't used to it. So it's, it's the same thing at Watkins Glen. Up through the S's was tough. Um, and we qualified the Cup Car right after the Xfinity race. could actually hurt a little bit speed-wise, but fortunately it didn't cost us any positions. So um, it worked out.
3: Sounds good. And, uh, Ross, I want to thank you for the interview I got from you in Atlanta this past uh, fall over there. I really do appreciate that. And uh look forward to seeing you at, I think my next race is going to be Darlington. Look forward to seeing you up there. And good luck the rest of the season. And, again, thanks uh, to you and thanks, Scott Reeder really, for getting you to come on here and do the interview and I'm gonna hand you over to Steve Wilson. Thanks again for coming on Ross. We really appreciate it.
5: Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to the throwback weekend and uh yeah, we keep Scott busy down there so I was uh surprised whenever he was able to you know he did a little PR for him to get him do a little interview. That's
3: good. He's been he's been, been doing a lot of PR, Ross. And I and like I said, I really appreciate him. He he actually uh Ross, I don't know you can probably I'll uh I'll tell him to email it to you. He uh he done an interview here with uh with one of my with one of my newspaper guys. They talked about the um, the haulers getting the cars there. The cars couldn't you know, can't get to the track without the hauler. Sort of like the unsung heroes. Scott, Scott did right. really well done that interview with Al and uh I think a lot of him. I really do. Scott's a really good uh a really good man. And again, Ross, thank you again and I'm gonna hand you over to Steve Stephen Wilson. thanks a lot. I
4: appreciate taking time to come on here tonight. Talk a little bit about your fourth place finish there at Iowa just uh, about a week ago, about a week and a half two weeks ago. Um, it was it, career best for you guys going out there to Iowa and it, it, it did it's a confidence measure not only for you but a small team like you guys that don't always get to run up in the front and get the recognition that you deserve. So break that down a little bit for us, and just what it meant not only to you but it meant for the team as as a whole. Yeah, I
5: mean it, it. It was. It came at a really good time. Uh, I had crashed the week before at New Hampshire, and that was the car we were going to take to Iowa, being a short track, uh, you know, as well. So, you know, definitely was a tough times around the shop to get the, the Old Faithful kind of car that we ran a bunch and ran. Felt like the other car was better um, to get the Old Faithful car out and ready to go uh, to try to run as good as we could. And and one of my guys told me that like, no, we'll we'll run just as good as we could have with this car, and I was skeptical I, I told him and and um man the first lap on track we we knew we had a really good race car and uh, we made small adjustments throughout practice um kind of went down some roads trying to find some more speed and more grip but didn't so we basically put it back to how we unloaded and then just made small air pressure and one small track bar adjustment in the race and and the thing took off so uh you know really happy you know that's what you shoot for every weekend to unload good and not make many adjustments but doesn't always happen that way and that's why my crew chief and my crew guys are are they do what they do is because they they can make the cars you know handle good um when they get everything right so that was a weekend we hit hit you know hit hit it perfect and um you know had a lot of speed for our program and and uh it was it was cool to see cool to see their smiles for sure as a
4: team that you know, again, you guys sometimes don't always get the recognition that you deserve because, you know, for a lot of aspects, sometimes you outrun some of the other teams uh, on, uh, out there that are more, uh, more funded than you guys are. What do you guys do just week to week that a team that is more funded than you guys are? Talk just a little bit about what you guys have to do to not only get the car prepped at the shop, but get the car on track on the weekends, and just how much of a spread or a difference that is sometimes for you and a really like a funded team like a JR Motorsports or J Goods Racing. Right. Yeah, and, and
5: that's really a better question for our, our team owner Johnny Davis. Honestly, it's it's amazing what he does, and I don't understand it. I don't understand. How he's able to make it work, but that's why I drive for him, and I don't own my own team, is because he's he's better than I am um, at owning a race team. He can he can make a lot out of a little, and and the sponsorship we are able to bring it's it's still I'll be honest it's a lot of money, it's a lot of dollars that come in, but there's so much that goes right back out um, that that goes into these race cars to make them as competitive as we can be, and and how he gets the race cars on track and and puts. Sticker tires on me every week and and does all that is is pretty amazing, honestly. It's it's there's really nobody else, you know. In the Xfinity series, um, they they could do that, and on on the budget we run on for what Johnny Davis and Gary Keller give me, and, and I'm not just saying that because they're my team owners. Like I, I've driven for other teams, I've seen the budgets. Um, you know, I've been at higher budget teams, I've been at even lower budget teams, but it is insane what he's able to do. So um i'm not you know maybe we need to get johnny on here to do an interview and and let him talk about it a little bit and, and kind of you know how scott can explain the, the the trucking side and hauling the cars to the track i can explain the, the driving we all have our our roles in the team um granted i get you know the the more the up, out out in the public you know media side uh most of the time but um you know the another unsung hero is johnny davis and how he's able to manage this race team um, is, is what he's built from nothing, um, you know, just from being a mechanic. So um, it's, uh, it, it's I guess, back to your question, though, it's a lot of extra hours. I'd say our guys work more hours than, than what other teams we're racing against put in. Um, and it's a product of just we have less people uh, for four cars, so it just takes more time to do stuff, you know, for what we're trying to accomplish.
4: You come out of South Florida, and there's a you had I think it was something around 50 wins or something like that in the Late mile Series, the so the Fast Car Series, and some of the other series that went throughout Florida. Talk about your upbringing, which led you to this career uh,
5: driving a car. <laughs> I guess a mistake by my dad to get me into racing. This was never a thought. Uh, my dad did some hobby racing before I was born and then, then took a break. And then I remember when I was real young, I remember going to the races with him every now and then I can remember him running. Um, he always had a green number 13, green and yellow, John Deere, green and yellow number 13 truck. And, and, you know, I remember, you know, every year, he, you know, or a couple of years, he'd get it ready at the beginning of the season. It was a fiberglass body and man, by race number three, that thing was all cracked up and he was, redo it you know re uh fiberglass and the fenders and stuff right there in the at the house and he just had a lot of fun with it and that's how i started the same series the fast truck series in the fast kid program uh and actually the when he asked me if i wanted to go race we went up and watched the race and matt martin which is mark martin's son uh ran his last race in the fast kid program won it he got out they they had gatorade sponsorship on the truck on the double stacker trailer and they threw Gatorade on him on the front stretch, and I man, I thought that is so cool. And I remember that, like like seeing him, he was my age, you know he uh, you know close, he was my size, and he's out there winning. Um, I was like, man, that's, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to I want to be like Matt. And, and so we were in the next race. We borrowed a truck that my dad used to race against, and then from there we bought our own. We, we bought a late model. You know, we just kept taking it more serious as we went along, but never still. Never thought there would be an opportunity in NASCAR until uh, the World Series of Asphalt Stock Car Racing in New Smyrna in 2011, and we uh, kind of the same story as now. We went there, we ran a couple races the year before on the weekly level, and uh, but there's a lot of guys that don't race weekly there that come there for speed weeks, and and so we went there. You know, kind of felt pretty good, and and but just thought, man, if we could just run all all the nights and just you know, you, if you run all the nights, you can finish top five in the points, and. Uh, you know, because usually a couple guys that are really fast crash their cars, and if they don't have a second one, because we didn't either. Um, and, man, we won the first night, qualified quick time, and won two more nights throughout the week and won the championship And against teams that actually had backup cars. Like in late models, they had double stacker trailers and stuff. So uh, met a guy there with a, at a truck series team, ended up running some races, and, and it just took off from there. And we figured out the business side and how – how you have to hustle uh, Monday to Thursday so you can go race Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's more about the business side, and it always has been. You know, the 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 fastest car has always won, and that's usually been the most expensive car. You know, the one that the the most quality amount of dollars were spent on it. Um, usually has probably won probably won the very first race there ever was in the history of you know mankind. As odd as that sounds, if you think about it, that you know the the best car wins. So. Um, you know, the business side is important, and that's what we work on, and we're building that at Johnny Davis Motorsports um, to be better than ever.
4: 2012, I remember you coming to Rockingham, and one of the things that's kind of stood out is the, the whole watermelon marketing that you have brought into the sport, and it's lasted to to this day. Um, they've been a part of your career for, for quite some time. How do you bring, like, how do you bring, like, the farming aspect that sometimes, you know, uh, you're talking, you've got this watermelon sponsorship, but, you know, again, how do you bring that farming aspect into a series that's now dominated by Fortune 100 and Fortune 50 companies and get their message out there?
5: Yeah, so it's it starts off with just being an eighth-generation farmer. I can talk about farming just like I can talk about race cars, and honestly, I – I can talk about farming better probably. Um it's just that's not as glamorous a lot of times on the good side of of a PR, you know, story uh you know as racing is. So, um just being able to talk and knowing growing up in the ag industry, not I didn't grow up in racing. I grew up around farmers and and everything that's involved with that with getting whatever crop it is, you know, to the consumer where they can where they can buy it at the grocery store. So, knowing all those people along the way um, and then basically them seeing me grow up and then me finding my way in this racing world, um, you know, they wanted to be a part of it. So there's there's a ton, I mean, way too many to name people behind the scenes that go into getting a watermelon car on the racetrack. Um, and it's mostly people that, that are a part of the farmer growing the watermelons, um, whether it's the the chemical companies involved or the box companies that we ship the watermelons, you know, in to the stores um there's so many people uh you know that that don't sell to the end consumer at the grocery store but they want they can just sell more watermelons doesn't matter what kind you know what brand you know all watermelons are created equal in in a sense um we don't we don't necessarily promote one brand of watermelon we just promote watermelons and that's the best way as a as a family of people that are all growing watermelons and yeah we all compete for price and you know, you, you want to have a contract with a chain store. Um, we all promote each other at the end of the day, and that's what makes it really cool. And like a family, just like the racing world, um, you know, that, that because we're all family, basically, uh, you know, in, in a sense, we're not really family, but we are. Uh, we all look at each other, and we care about each other, and we, we want to help each other. And if we help our neighbor, it's going to help us, too. So that's why. That's why it works. It's just it's a, a really natural, good-feeling deal. Um and there's people that have come, came and went in the program, but um, the the, the message of you know people uh, protecting their melon, right? Using their melon, driving sober, wearing their seatbelts, just eating as much watermelon as they can uh, stays the same. Ross, I
4: appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight and talk to us uh, on a ra of wide variety of subjects. Man, I can't talk sometimes late in the day. But before we get you out of here and let you go, let uh, let everybody know where they can follow you out on social media. And thank your sponsors. I know we just talked about the watermelon, but the sponsorship and partnership. But there's a lot of sponsors that go into putting you out there on the racetrack. But this is your time. We're going to give you the chance to thank anybody you'd like to thank and let everybody know how they can follow you on social media again. uh, Thanks a lot for coming on here tonight. And good luck throughout
5: the rest of the 2018 season. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. And all my social media is just Ross Chastain. Uh, Quick Google search will bring all that up. And then uh, yeah, I mean we you know on the four car Flex Seal is such a big part. Everybody sees the the commercials uh, on on every cable network channel, you know, Direct TV, whatever kind of satellite provider or cable company you have, it's uh, they're obviously a huge supporter of, of JD Motorsports long before I got there. Um, but like Phil Swift just gave me a shout out on Instagram, and, and I'm not huge into all that. I'm on there and I post some stuff, but uh, man, my Instagram blew up. All these Flex fans are, are all over me now. So it's really cool, um, you know, to see the back and forth that you can have on social media where, you know, generally you, you didn't have that I guess before all this became a thing. Sometimes I wish I was in a generation without smartphones and, and Instagram and all that, but um gotta embrace the world as it is. So um yeah, I mean there's there's a ton of companies um, you know, along the way and with all of our cars with Smithley and, and Benny Miller and um, you know, and then kind of a rotation throughout the 15 car, so really cool to have Mike Skeen in the 15 this weekend and learn from him a little bit, and then go out, I outran him in the race, like, uh, holy cow, I did not think that would happen, um, and now we got uh, Catherine, you know, in the 15, a very well-known sports car racer, so looking forward to that, and um, learning from her uh, at Mid-Ohio and Road America, and just trying to be a better race car driver, and be as competitive as I can is, is my goal, it's what gets me up every morning, and and, shoot, if I can get people to eat a few more watermelons along the way, then that's a good day, too.
2: <laughs>
5: Ross,
4: thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight. And, again, good luck throughout the rest of the 2018
3: season. All right. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good night. Thanks, good Ross. Day. You too, brother. Ross Chastain there, Steven. Uh I posed the question to him about, you know, I called it, pitting backwards you know there at Watkins Glen International coming down you know they run backwards there they run uh cotwise where well anyway he he mentioned that it wasn't that difficult of a change from pitting backwards on a road course than pitting on an oval track what he said was the most hardest was going from that exV car to that cup car he the way he talked about it he said it was a, it was a big change, Stephen. He said the the horsepower was just unreal from the Xfinity car to the Cup car. And that's opposite what I thought. I thought he would have said pit and backers would have been harder. Every
4: driver has a little different way of looking at, you know, not only the cars that they get into but the races they go to. Um yeah, for me, uh, if you spend 95, 98% of the entire season running, you know, uh counterclockwise and and pitting a certain way, um and and then you come to a place like Watkins Glen and you got to change everything that you know for, you know, uh a 2-hour race, um and you may only do it by two or three times a year, two times a year or something, and it just, you know, for me, that would be a big change for me to be honest with you but um you you're right there's horsepower differences in these cars and for drivers to be able to get that car control between the two the Xfinity series car and the Monster Energy series car um you know that that's also you know uh, sometimes tough to tackle and you see a lot of drivers that you know they spend an exorbitant amount of time switching between not only the series but um different types and styles of cars because, um, they're a looking for a lot of that, you know, looking for more seat time, but they're also trying to get the better car control out of some of these cars in the way that they run differently.
3: To, uh, Ross there also about, uh, about being like a lower tier team, uh, about how they are competing. Like he had that, he had that P4 finish there at Iowa a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you, you asked him, you know, how to, how do y'all compete with all we you know with all these uh these other teams like your junior motorsports I think was what you mentioned to him. And he said uh Johnny Davis now he went straight to Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis has put everything he owns everything he has to make J D motorsports a go. And that means a lot and that young man Ross Chastain, right off the bat went straight to Johnny Davis too.
4: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand what it takes to really put these cars together. People see a Rick Hendrick out there, or Joe Gibbs, or uh, Kelly Earnhardt with, with these various teams, um, and they, they see that a lot of times that you know what the kind of gear is that they put together. But you know, for Johnny Davis, who is given a lot of people a lot of opportunity, he's one of these people that are in the garage. Everybody respects what he does, and I think that shows just by his drivers, and a lot of his drivers are constantly praising him. No, they don't have a Junior Motorsports or a a uh, Joe Gibbs Racing type of car um, and and shop and crew and money and all the things that come along with it. But he's been able to take a lot of things and build up upon it slowly at the time, and he has a lot of loyal people around him and a lot of people that haven't forgotten where – they got in the sport because of him
3: exactly and you posed the question too also going back to his farming days you know he uh the uh, watermelon farming and all that going on down there he uh he said he actually he mentioned he knew more about farming than he did racing uh, uh you know
4: Yeah, I kind of asked that question. It was kind of like an offbeat question, to be honest with you, because again, I had gone to Rockingham in 2012, and they went all out and they brought, they brought, you know, the the marketing out there. And this is just a one-off race in the middle of you know Rockingham, North Carolina, one of the first races that they had back there, and they were one of the few teams out there, or one of the few sponsors out there, that bought. Some type of marketing to it, and that's kind of resonated to me in some degrees because I think they were going straight to the people that are not only consuming the product but also they know they're a market audience at the same time and we see them a lot of times they go to they go to um oh Lord. <sighs> They go to Dover, and they put on a really big show with this protective Melon, and he's got a lot of sponsors behind him, but honestly, it was just one of these offbeat questions to get his opinion on.
3: Yeah, definitely, and I'm glad you asked that. I had that in the back of my mind. I had some notes jotted down, You, like I said. I couldn't think real fast, and I didn't want to take up all his time. I wanted you to have have some time with him, too. But, uh, Stephen, if you could think of anything else that we need to talk about, uh, uh, I'll I wanna thank uh well, Stephen, we got to hold on a minute. We got to give the uh schedule out this weekend and I'm gonna assist you again. Uh uh the uh NASCAR X Series. They're gonna be at Mid Ohio uh Friday, August tenth, Xfinity Series first practice is 1.35 PM to two fifty five PM. No T V, no radio. Friday August tenth, Xfinity Series final practice five p.m. to 4.55 p.m. No TV, and all times are Eastern. No TV, no radio. And Saturday, August 11th, Xfinity Series qualifying is going to be at 11.30 a.m., and it's still showing no TV and no radio. And then coming up, uh, the Xfinity Series Rock and Roll Tequila 170. Is it 3 p.m. Saturday, Eastern time? MRN has your radio coverage, and NBCSN has your TV And Stephen, do you have the time and event for Michigan?
4: Two miles outside of Detroit, the home of the auto manufacturers, come back for the second time this year. Friday night, five oh five p.m. Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying. Uh, That's pretty much about a couple practices before that, but not a whole lot else going on. Saturday morning. Uh, At 9.30, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series qualifying to be followed at 1 o'clock. 100 laps, 200 miles for the Corgan Oil 200. Uh, Fox Sports 1 has that coverage for you with MRM on the radio. Then on Sunday, the Consumer's Energy 400 at 2.30 p.m., Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series racing 200 laps, 400 miles from the two-mile D-shaped oval in Brooklyn,
3: Michigan. Amen, brother. And, and Next weekend, you will be going to Bristol. Uh, you're going to Bristol, the, night, the Bristol Night Race, correct? UNAM is going to cover that, right?
4: Yeah, well, over the next six weeks, I'm going to be at three races. I'm going to go to Bristol. Two weeks later, I'm going to join you in Darlington. Two uh, two weeks after that, it's going to be uh, Richmond, and then at the end of the year, going to go to Homestead. So, um, may throw in some stuff. Maybe even throw in Martinsville in October and just make it, you know, um, just go all out for the rest of the year.
3: I might as well, brother. I got a vacation. I got a burn. And to mention that, uh, I got Talladega. And like you said, we're going to Homestead. We're going to Darlington. And you have – You got a guest coming up next week, have you? Can you throw that out there yet? Can you let our listeners know the guest that you have next week? Yeah, so um, Uh,
4: next week I'm going to have Aaron. uh, Yeah, I'm going to have Aaron Studwell. He is known on Twitter as uh, the Race Weather Guy. Um, Him and Brian Newdorf, which I'm going to uh, Brian, unfortunately cannot. Join us, but I'm going to tape his interview and play it for us next week. Um, But Aaron will be on here live. Both Brian and Aaron work together. Um, They they are accredited and credentialed weather um, uh, weather forecasters. Uh, They they work for they they work for TV stations out of Texas and um, Colorado, and. Over the last about four to five years, they have been working together to put together all the weather forecasts on their own and independent and publishing it out there for all the race fans going to to the, the races on the weekend. They also were very prominent during weather events, during rain and storms and red flags, that they keep everybody updated on what's going on. So we're going to talk to them about what they do, how they got into it, and why it's such an interest of them and how the fans um, appreciate all the work that they put into this.
3: It's going to be interesting to them because, you know, Brian and uh, they, they stay on top of everything. I know you and I, Retweet a lot of their weather stuff, and they are they are just about Johnny on the spot. They uh, listeners, y'all follow them on Twitter. They they cover the race day weather forecast. They keep the fans up to date on if it's gonna be if it's gonna rain or if it's gonna sunshine or what have you. But Stephen, thanks again for getting them. And I'm gonna try to work on maybe getting trying. I'm gonna see if I can get Kerry Tharp, president, and Raceway, come on to Tuesday prior. Before we go too dark, and Stephen, before we let you jump out, well, I want to thank uh, I want to thank you, Stephen. I want to thank Suzanne, Manitophones. I want to thank Ann Marie for everything she does for for our social media stuff. And I want to thank Ross Chastain for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on here and talk to us about his endeavors in the NASCAR Sprint Series, Motorsports, and also with Premium Motorsports. And I didn't really get to ask him the question, but I wanted to throw this out there. Uh, He's got a he's got a he's got a new sponsor. Uh, Solomon Plumbing joins Ross Chastain in Michigan this weekend on the number 15 Chevrolet for printing Motorsports in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, just throw that out there, Ross, if you're still listening. And I want to thank Scott Revis again, unsung hero, driver of the hall there for, for Ross getting getting his car back and forth and going all out on the west coast and everything. But again, Stephen, thank you very much, and let everybody know if I can follow you out on social media.
4: You can follow me at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, Frozen West Speedway Digest, and um, SpeedwayDigest.com. Before we get out of here tonight, coming up at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock Eastern, Bazaar Foods and Andrew Zimmerman will go to the moonshine capital of the United States, Wilkes County. And for those interested, we'll get a peek inside of the North Wilkesboro Speedway.
3: 10-4, Stephen, what channel is that on?
4: Uh, Travel Channel. Uh, I yeah, I don't know what it is on anybody else's I Have Dish Network, so everybody can look it up. Otherwise, it will be online tomorrow um, sometime around noon, 1 o'clock, is what I've been told if they miss it tonight.
3: Okay, so it's coming up here top of the hour, correct, Stephen, on Travel Channel?
4: 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, top of
5: the hour, yep.
3: 9 o'clock Eastern, i would be 8, yep, 7, 08. Stephen, I want to again, uh, thank you very much. And uh, y'all give Stephen a – check out Stephen's website, speedwaydigest.com. He does a hell of a job. He covers everything. And Stephen also hosts my website, uh, pitstopradio.net. If you ever need any any, any website hosting, uh, website building, Stephen's uh, probably going to kill me because he ain't got time for it. Stephen is the man for it. But, again uh, – I wanna thank I wanna thank everybody and uh until next Tuesday night, uh, uh we wanna thank you again. Thanks, Reverend Joe. And Stephen Wilson and I are gonna sign off uh live from Talladega Just the way the crow flies eight miles south of this two point six six mile monster. I'm Tim DeSpain alongside Foodway dot com. We will talk to you next Tuesday evening. again, thanks for listening guys and thanks for everything y'all do for the sport. See ya.
1: celebrate the good old usa and take in the best bumper banging fist waving hero making short track race of the year the bass pro shops nra night race it's america's night race this is what you live for so be there august 8th, 8th it ain't just another race it's bristol baby